When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily Sunday podcast. Now, despite the world feeling like a very strange place at the moment, the one consistent does seem to be, for now at least, football. No Premier League football this weekend, of course, but we have had a jam-packed weekend of action with Euro 2020 playoffs, UEFA Nations League games and international friendlies. So still plenty of football news and gossip to talk about. My name's Fergal Brennan and on the theme of international break weekend, we have two international superstars joining me today freelance journalist Rob Blanchett Rob how are we I'm good thanks Fergo very good uh, very low-key international introduction uh, and we also have Goal.com's Manchester City correspondent Jonathan Smith how are we Jonathan hi Fergo yeah all good I mean, it feels like a pretty low-key weekend all, all around I think it does it does indeed it does it's a very strange feeling it's a very um almost like we're preparing for an enormous event that's coming up and, and obviously Premier League football coming back next weekend but it doesn't seem like we've had a break in the last in the last month or so from the amount of games that have been on there seems to be games on every single night but obviously international football has been the big focus this weekend and the huge story coming in the last couple of hours is, is England winning 2-1 over Belgium now we've all lived through England going to major tournaments generally not being as successful as people thought they would be except for the last one where it was a semi-final appearance and, and everyone's optimism kind of got the better of them. But we just want to talk about the, the Nations League. 3 one, uh, sorry, 2-1 win over Belgium on the back of a 3-0 friendly win over Wales in midweek. Rob, I'm going to start with you on this. Expectation and anticipation of England is always going to be high. But on the back of that run to the semi-finals in the World Cup in 2018, then obviously the European Championship has been suspended this summer. Southgate is building a squad that England fans are justifiably excited about. Do you think that they're matching that anticipation now? Well, yeah, I think we saw with the game today, obviously beating Belgium now means that England's the best team in the world. Obviously, as Belgium are the number one team in the FIFA rankings. I like that uh, logic. Indeed. And so I, I think uh, that Gareth's done a really good job in terms of building the squad since he's been in charge. 
we saw how well they did at the World Cup and obviously in the Nations League previously. But I just think against the challenge against a team like Belgium, who you expect to be in the latter stages of the Euros, today was a really good performance. And I think the 3-4-3 worked. I think all the, the kind of differentials that Southgate tried today all came off and they got a victory. So everything's looking really right and bright and rosy at the moment. And Jonathan, these are the types of games that England will be judged on. One of the big criticisms of England teams in the past is in qualification for major tournaments, they've absolutely coasted maybe one difficult game or one sticky result away from home. Beating teams like Belgium, I know the Nations League is a little bit of a difficult testing ground to to assess where players and managers are at, but this is a big sign that England are moving in the right direction. Yes, Belgium are missing a couple of names. There's no Courtois uh, in the starting lineup, but this is still an impressive performance. Where do you gauge England are now? If we had the European Championships this summer, we'd obviously be in a a different position, but Southgate has managed to keep that post-World Cup momentum going. I think he has. I think he's he's put England at a certain level now where they are comfortable playing against the best sides of the world. I mean, you talked about the players that weren't there. There was still the likes of De Bruyne and Lukaku and, uh, you know, some, some very, very good players and they, all they managed to, to do was score from the penalty spot. Um, you know, maybe the one that was ruled out was slightly unfortunate, but you know it was a bit of a makeshift England defence essentially, and 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 they were pretty much comfortable throughout the game. So there's a lot to take from that, and I think that's the thing with Southgate. He, he's making progress all the time. I think you go back to um, the last tournament. I think they went into it perhaps for the first time without any expectation, and it was and it just. Be, it, they just sort of ran with it and and just got better and better and better. And, and now I think you can see that Southgate has got a plan. He's got players coming through. I think we're we're getting England players through a, a, a bigger a bigger selection to choose from now than we have done for a number of years. So I think there's a lot of optimism that you can take from everything around England at the moment. Obviously, Rob, one of the other issues that we, we would look at here is the lineup. That friendly win over Wales was seen as a bit more of an experimental 11 that, that Southgate put out from the team that then started against Belgium. But let's look at the defence first and foremost. There was only one player who kept his place, and that's Kieran Trippier. There was a slight tweak in the system as well, the defensive lineup. Southgate is looking at the Nations League games, you would imagine as the preparation for the European Championships and looking at what his best 11 is. At the end of the World Cup, I think we all had a fairly strong idea of what Gareth Southgate's best England team is. No one's ever going to agree on that, of course. You know, we'd, we'd have nothing to talk about on podcasts or, or arguments in the pub if we did. But when we look at the players now, there's so many players that are forcing their way into the reckoning that it's given Southgate the old kind of cliche of a good problem to have or, or a selection headache to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think tonight what we saw was that there was a kind of Liverpool-esque kind of steal about England through the middle in terms of their shape. So uh, maybe that's something in terms of lessons learned through the Premier League uh, uh, in selection, looking at the players, allowing the front three to actually go and do some work. So I think for Gareth, it's, it's, a, it's a case of playing around with that, with the games that he has got. Tonight, we saw that he was trying to obviously push the width with Alexander-Arnold and Trippier pushing up the pitch. But it was just a nice balance against uh, a Belgium team that you know are going to retain the ball well. You know you have to stop Kevin De Bruyne. And obviously Lukaku had a fantastic first half as well. So I think there's lots of positives for England. And they'll, they'll come out of this more than just obviously off the back of the victory. They'll feel that they've made some advancement with that first eleven. 
And obviously, when you look at the performance, Jonathan, there's going to be players that are always reserved for plays. And there's going to be players that are firmly in Gareth Southgate's starting eleven. When you look at the team that he picked today, Jordan Pickford is someone that's under criticism. Nick Pope played against Wales. Going into a major tournament, you need to have the key points of your team absolutely nailed down. When you look at the team today, is goalkeeper the biggest decision, the biggest issue that he needs to resolve between now and the European Championships? I'm not sure whether it's the biggest issue. Um, I, I don't think Pickford's made too many mistakes for England. I think a lot of the concerns are really around his Premier League form. I mean, he's not started the season well. He, he didn't end last season particularly well either. Um, and, and Nick Pope has really played very well. You know, he's been very solid for Burnley. And he, uh, but I, th- I do think there are issues all over the side. And I, and I, I, I would think that he's, on the outside, it looks like he's a long way from knowing what his best eleven is. You think in the middle of defence, there are issues. Um, and then even in midfield, you, there's no obvious certain, you know, first choice midfielders, you would say, maybe, maybe Henderson. And I, I, I don't know, you know, Grealish was so good against Wales that you think, okay, he deserves his chance. Um, no one's really grasping it and saying, you know, I, I must be in this side. But in terms of in terms of goalkeeper, he's he had a, had a friendly and he's had a, an international game, and I think Gareth has sort of played it quite neatly in the way he's got round it. He's he's managed to pick Nick for the the friendly, pick Jordan for the international game. It, there's been no major problems with that. I still think it's slightly kicking the can down the road. Either you come out and say Pickford's number one, that's that's the way it is or he starts giving uh, Pope a chance in, in more important fixtures. Obviously, looking at the situation from a slightly more negative view of, of Pickford potentially being under pressure, I do agree with what Jonathan was saying of, for England, he hasn't really made that many errors. In fact, if you weigh up his good performances or his, his match-winning performances for England, it, it outweighs the bad stuff. It's his Everton form that we look at when we watch Premier League football and we begin to wonder, is that going to be an issue when he pulls on an England shirt at, at a major tournament? But Rob, I just wanted to ask from the other side of the coin, this raft of players that have come into the squad, particularly younger players, who do you think in the last 12 months has given Southgate the most to think about from a position of maybe being a squad player to a must-pick or from being someone that's not even in the squad to now absolutely has to be included whenever England play? Well, I think it was two players that we saw tonight, really, with Rice and Mount. You know, these are two players who have come from uh, the fringes of squads originally. They played together at Chelsea as youth players. Um, And you saw tonight with the system that he played, it allowed Rice and Mount to go and do their best work. So I think they're two guys uh, that might be finding themselves as starters now in the the weeks and months ahead as they prepare for the Euros. But also I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you know, we've seen the advancement he's made at Everton. He's now a genuine threat as the number nine. And it just gives Southgate that opportunity to play a different kind of striker if Harry Kane isn't available or if you play Harry Kane as the number 10. Yeah, and I think, as we've seen with Tottenham, with Kane, he is comfortable withdrawing into that position. We we always associate Kane with just goals, being in the penalty box, being such an issue for defenders to deal with and, and constantly looking to get ahead of his man and get on the score sheet. And sometimes... I think maybe in his earlier career that was to his detriment because he was obsessed with being the the goal scorer. I, I can't remember the goal the goal where he he made a big song and dance out of it because he wanted to have it credited to him uh, to make sure he was still in the goal the golden boot race. But we're seeing as he matures and the players around him mature at a different level to his game. 
given, you know, obviously there's going to be so much speculation who's going to be in that squad. I just want to kind of play a quick game here from, from best 11, just quickly. Goalkeeper, who we who would we look at? If, we, if we're looking ahead now to the European Championships, Jonathan, Pickford or Pope? I mean, it's such a difficult decision because I would chuck in Dean Henderson in there as well. But, but he, but he, he does, has to be playing. He does have to be playing for United, so you think, yeah, that doesn't give him much of a chance. So, uh, sorry, you wanted a quick answer, didn't you? So I'll go, <laughs> I'll go Pope. Uh, Rob, would you agree? Would you say Pope, his performances with Burnley are good enough or, or Pickford's greater England experience? No, I think for me it's definitely Pope. I think Pickford's Everton form has been sketchy at best. Yeah, I'm going to make it three for three. Uh, back four, if we to, if we were to say, do you think he's going to stick with a back four or he has expense, experimented with a with a three five two? But I think that's been more due to the issue that there's not maybe a recognised left back, right back. Probably be Trent Alexander Arnold would be first choice. Any anyone disagree yeah, with that? So. Uh, Centre backs, right, Harry Maguire. Plus one. That's probably another. That's another bit of a, a question mark because Joe Gomez has been very good for Liverpool, but there's still question marks over him. Michael Keane has had a run. Eric Dyer has decided that he wants to be permanent centre back. Who, who would you be looking to partner Maguire next summer? I, well, I, really I, I, I do like Joe Gomez. Uh, I think he's got a, a huge future a, a, with the shape. But it, would that be to negate this idea that there's not an outstanding left back? You've got three, four, five excellent right backs. Would, what I mean is, from a from a positional point of view, are we getting into old England territory by playing a wing back system to accommodate for the fact that there isn't a player in that position? And that has definitely been a bit of an Achilles heel for England in the past. Yeah, I, I do think that the shape is a is an issue for Southgate, but I I. Th- think there is this kind of pull towards playing three at the back simply because of the personnel we've seen Trippier on the left and I think that's where he'll stay so if, if you assume that teams like Liverpool now play with that wing back system obviously City do as well I think you'll see England play with three at the back just to shore it up and allow them to play maybe with two pragmatic midfielders again like they did today with Rice and Henderson and that just gives you a front three to go and press and go and play their game and I think that suits England more with the personnel that they have uh, and I think that's kind of a system that Southgate would like to play. Uh, Rice and Henderson you mentioned there they seem to be stalwarts of Gareth Southgate particularly Declan Rice he's, he's come into the squad and he's, he's made that number four shirt his own and Jordan Henderson with the experience that he's got with Liverpool and with England he, he essentially seems undroppable would we agree that they're probably certainties to be starting in the, in the tournament next summer? Yeah I think they look uh, certainly, certainly Henderson looks nailed on and Rice has, has done very well when he's won the shirt Okay, right, the fun bit. Now, I've looked, based on the last three squads, there's 19 potential players that could take that front three. So, straight off the bat, you've got your manager's hat on. Rob, I'll go to you first on this. Who's your front three? I think it's going to be Rashford, Kane and Sancho. I th- or, or you could possibly go in there with Sterling through the middle and have Kane drop off. So, I think those will be... It's going to be three from four for me. So that's leaving out Mason Greenwood, Phil Foden, Tammy Abraham, Danny Ings, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, but again, it's a good bench to have, isn't it? And I, th- I think that the senior players in the England squad, when you look at Sterling and, and Rashford, I think now can call himself that as well in terms of his World Cup experience, and everything that he's done. Sancho, as you saw, was sat on the bench today, but obviously there was other factors to, to do with that. But I still think that those, those four players are going to make up the England attack and then they've got a great supporting cast. 
Jonathan, would you agree with that? Rashford, Kane, Sancho, or do you see um, uh, a professional loyalty to slotting Raheem Sterling in, or, or somebody else? I know it's not a professional loyalty. I would just, <laughs> I would go for Sterling because I think he's been outstanding for you know two three seasons and been outstanding for England. Um, so I would go Sterling, Kane, and probably Sancho on the on the right. But with Greenwood being the long term. Uh, proposition because I think he's absolutely fantastic uh, and maybe the Euros might just be a little bit too too soon for him but certainly the World Cup I think he, he's probably the other one I would go for Well I think it's safe to say that you guys have convinced each other that England are, are right within a shout to do well and particularly mm-hmm. based on that starting 11 and that bench that they should be right within the reckoning. Kevin De Bruyne gave an interesting interview before the game I don't know whether maybe it was a little bit of mind games looking to put a bit of pressure on the players he was going to be coming up against but he was very clear and he said England can win the European Championships and the World Cup. And this wasn't a throwaway comment. He he deliberately moved the interview towards essentially saying that given the depth of players they've got, given the strength of certain players in certain positions, playing for Champions League clubs, Premier League winning clubs, um, to put your Kevin De Bruyne hat on, Rob, do you think England are there now? Are we seeing a situation where perhaps for the first time in decades, England will be going into a tournament discussed justifiably as right amongst the favourites? Well, I was lucky enough to be at the World Cup uh, two years ago in Russia working and we didn't think England had a chance of kind of progressing to the last stages, let alone, you know, the last four being so close to the final. I think the team's better now and I agree with De Bruyne. I think when you actually look at the, the numbers and you look at the players we've got available, they're a team that should be going out there looking to win. Now, there's always going to be teams that have more possession than England and I think that's that's a given. But it's about the system and being able to win games. And we saw today, you know, with England being able to close out this game quite comfortably against a team that's well known for obviously being able to get on the front foot, score goals and be able to decimate teams. And England resisted that today. So they should absolutely be in the conversation. Are they the favourites for me? Not right at the top end. I still think the likes of France, uh, you can even say Germany to a certain extent, and and any of the big European nations, they're all going to be there or thereabouts. But we should be talking more positively about England, especially after the performances that we've seen. Jonathan, would you follow along on them lines? England are... They've been the bridesmaids so many times in terms of finals performance and, and where they've eventually come out at the end of it. Last 16 to quarter final generally seems to be the average, but there does seem to be something different about Southgate and about the players. And, and when you've got someone like Kevin De Bruyne, who is a world-class individual who knows what it takes to win major honours, and Kevin De Bruyne is a, a fantastic judge of elite-level players, have they taken a bit of a step up or, or should we still be a bit wary? No, I think um, I've spoken to Kevin De Bruyne many times and he doesn't throw things out just for the sake of it. He, he only says what he means. He's, he's very relaxed talking about his opinions uh, and, and if that will be generally what he thinks and, and I have to go along with it. Uh, I think there's something something happening in, in England over the last few years in terms of what Southgate has brought. The, the, the players seem a lot more relaxed. They seem to enjoy it more. You, you go back four or five years ago and there was so much pressure uh, and when things went wrong, it, 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 you know, you really suffered playing for England. It, it, it seemed to be, there was just no hiding place. And, and you got the feeling that sometimes it was just, people, some players just couldn't wait to get back to their clubs where they feel, felt comfortable, wherever they were amongst, uh, you know, almost like a family. Whereas in, England is, is now becoming like that. They, when you see the England players meeting up during the Premier League, they're all very, very close, apart, 
perhaps Joe Gomez and Raheem Sterling, maybe. Hopefully they've made up now, but I think there's something, <laughs> yeah, I think there's something really special happening there, and there's no reason why they can't go to the to the Euros thinking, yeah, like, why not? We can we can beat anybody. We've beaten Belgium, the number one team in the world. Okay, it was, you know, it was a strange game in terms of no fans. I don't think it was the the most intense game we've ever seen, but they beat them. Uh, they, they can beat anybody. Yeah, I think it's going to be a very interesting few months ahead for Southgate in terms of who he's going to pick, who's going to be in the squad. Um, But obviously, due to the current situation with coronavirus and potential suspensions across football, we still are sticking a bit of a pin in the European Championships, even going ahead next summer. And that brings us neatly to the end of part one. After the break, we're going to be picking up on that subject of coronavirus disrupting international football. We're going to be talking about the November international break and what the potential changes in coronavirus guidelines could mean for Premier League football and the international game. We'll catch you in a minute. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Weekend Podcast. Just a quick reminder, with the Premier League back up and running, we are back up to seven days a week. So that means every single day we have a fresh podcast for you to listen to. If you just hit subscribe on this episode, you can get it delivered straight to you. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Football Social Daily. Now, before the break, we talked about England and their Euro Nations clash with Belgium and the progression that Gareth Southgate's side have made ahead of next summer's European Championships. However... With the 2020 version being cancelled and rebranded as 2020-21-ish, depending on which calendar you're reading it from, the European Championships might not even be going ahead. Now, Rob, Jonathan, we have both looked at this before and we've looked at the situation with football and and obviously we all make a living from, from football being on, but there does seem to be a sense that coronavirus in the next month or so is going to dominate the football landscape and the football calendar. Now, International football has been criticised for many reasons over the years for, for fans of Premier League clubs unhappy with players going away for friendly matches, etc. Given the fact that in November there is another full window of international football, Jonathan, I'll go to you first on this. And added to that, Jordan Shakiri, Liverpool player, has tested positive for coronavirus and will have to isolate on his return to Liverpool. Five members of the Republic of Ireland squad, who are all Premier League players, will have to do the same. Three from the Scotland squad makes it a bit of a mess and that's only the situation as it stands can the international break go ahead as planned in November yeah it's it's a real worry um i mean i think we, we've been very lucky so far in that coronavirus has, has not impacted in terms of players uh, and and teams too much uh, i mean the worry for me is that we haven't had, actually had a a case involving a player where they've been seriously ill everyone's kind of contracted positive tests and then within a couple of weeks got back to playing and it's a it's a worry that we're getting a little bit too blase about this um certainly we've got the champions league coming up at at one where we're going to see more players more teams traveling all over europe it's a little bit that's a little bit of a concern and then you think do we really need these november internationals i think you know the the calendar is so hectic I think another thing that De Bruyne talked about was, you know, the impact it's having on players in terms of their fitness and risks to injury. 
I just think you put all that together, and if anything has to give, it's probably these international fixtures. And I feel very sorry for Gareth Southgate because, you know, he's doing all he can to get this England team ready for for a tournament. But I, I just think that is the is the one games that we can probably do without. Rob, from a Premier League perspective, in terms of Premier League managers, we all know from speaking to or, or post game interviews with Premier League managers, even if it's through gritted teeth, they do not like international football they don't they, they, they kind of brush it off and, and see it as a bit of a necessity for certain players but in the past when we've seen examples of managers being very angry at players coming back with injuries and being sidelined for a period of time we also know that that goes the other way that players can pull out of international squads and then miraculously be fit for their club that following weekend with coronavirus and the guidelines regarding the the isolation periods that is not the case so in the past when a manager might have lent on a player to say listen it's only a friendly we've got a massive premier league game next weekend don't go and I'll I'll let you go next time in in inverted commas that isn't the case premier league managers now are staring down the barrel of any number of players coming back into their squads and crucially into their bubbles in the next 48 72 hours and not knowing whether they're going to be able to play for another two weeks. Yeah, and I think we have also have to look at the aspect of what the players think. You know, I think these guys have all now obviously been on international duty now for the last week, and they themselves would have seen the, you know, how the reports are now coming back from other international squads of players who are, are going to go into quarantine. Now, I think when we get closer towards November, we might well see a, a whole raft of withdrawals simply because clubs will be protecting themselves. And I think players will as well. I think players might not want to put themselves at risk in that situation when they're having trouble with themselves getting themselves up to full fitness with a minimal pre-season. So I do think that the the November break is definitely at risk at the moment and we're just about to enter this, you know, second wave of uh of the coronavirus here in the UK and it could just be the case that by the time we get to November the natural course of action is to cancel that anyway as we go forward. Do you think Jonathan there's the potential that UEFA and FIFA will, will take this on board and, and maybe look to prioritise games. We, we've talked about the Nations League quite a few times in the past and people are always very confused about the 101 different rules and if Gibraltar beat Belgium at home, that means that uh, North Macedonia have to go away and get a point at Sweden and all this kind of nonsense that we have to sift through and, and go through page after page of Wikipedia entry. But... There will be um, Euro 2020 playoff finals. Scotland and Northern Ireland both qualified. Uh, Republic of Ireland, unfortunately not. Uh, I've managed to wait 36 minutes before I've actually said that. Uh, It's taken me a few days to get over Ireland losing on penalties. Uh, Do you think there is grounds for that, maybe to say, look... We know that friendlies are not a wanted part of the calendar. We know that the Nations League, no one's exactly in love with it. Let's just do the, the, the big games, the important games that matter further down the line. Oh, well, I think a lot of it will come down to, to money once again. Um, you know, the, 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 they are valuable. They will, there are sponsorship deals involved and things like this, and, the, and they'll want these games on wherever possible. Um, I think it's up to the, to the clubs and to the, perhaps managers, international managers, just to say, right, this is something we, we could really do without. I think maybe the European qualifiers are slightly different because that, you know, there's a lot riding on that, and that needs to be sorted out. Um, so I think there's four games to play, and I think maybe they should be ring fenced, and they and they should be played if possible. Uh, I think it was very unfortunate for for Scotland to have so many players missing. Unfortunately, they did get through that. So 
Um, you know, you'd like to think that the Euros are going to go ahead in the summer. Obviously, so many unknowns and uh, so much can happen between now and then. Um, but I think we should be certainly looking towards the Euros happening. But perhaps this, you know, the calendar, like I said before, was is so busy. I, you know, the Nation League has been a lot better than a lot of people were expecting it to be. Certainly what better than I, what I was expecting it to be. But I just don't think we need it at the moment. I think we need to... I think we need to look after the players, take away their take away their workload, and think about them in terms of you know helping them do as much as possible to avoid contracting coronavirus. You know they've all got families, they've all got uh, grandparents and things like that, and, and let's just try and look after people whereas wherever as much as possible. The same we do with for everybody else. Rob, do you think there's a point to be made in terms of the Premier League that managers and, and chairmen and, as Jonathan points out, players even, that will say, we've made exceptions and compromises with the domestic calendar, cup replays have been scrapped, um, straight to extra time, penalties, the League Cup, the Carabao Cup has been moved earlier in the season in order to, to ease the Premier League congestion in and around the end of 2020. The international community or the international calendar doesn't seem to have done that. Yes, the big flagship event of the European Championships was postponed, but we're still anticipating it to go ahead next summer on the back of players not having had a break this summer. Do you think eventually that's going to come to crack where the Premier League essentially turn around and say, we are not prioritising anything other than ourselves and our clubs and our players? Well, this was always going to be the fear, really, uh, the conflict between international football and club football. Now, obviously, these clubs put a lot of money and time and investment into their players to get them fit and healthy to play for them. But if you have a, a calendar that constricts everything, and especially when we're talking about second waves, even third waves, there will be a point where it does crack. Now, we don't know when that will come, but... In terms of the commercial machine of football, you will always find that the clubs have that power. And I, and I do believe that the Premier League will speak up and speak to the other bodies to try and find a solution. Because even with having the League Cup being played so early, we saw how many games... Uh, you saw Tottenham Pl Hotspur playing four games in, in like eight or nine days. It's, it's ridiculous. It's not something that, in terms of professional sport, that anyone would advocate. So I can see that backlog, you know, coming back to haunt football. But it's something that needs to be resolved proactively rather than just waiting until you know something breaks or snaps when you look at the situation Jonathan from a player's perspective and you've touched on it there that players have to look out for themselves that their, their own health their family's health they're now essentially being asked to do everything we've talked about compromise that clubs have made at a Premier League level and this potential that international teams haven't made it how far are we away from a player turning round or, or maybe the a players union representative turning around and saying listen my client or, or myself has not had a break they've not had a pre-season there's not been uh, adequate preparation for this new season and in terms of what is being demanded of them as an elite athlete just isn't good enough for the framework that's working around them well you would hope that there was a good dialogue going on between good managers and their players to discuss exactly that and managing their workload you know for, Rob talks about Tottenham I mean their, their schedule is just absolutely ridiculous uh, and the players have to feel comfortable that they can go and speak to Mourinho and say look I just I just can't do this I need a couple of weeks off or I, I'm, I'm just fatigued I'm not injured I'm just I just can't do it again and that, and that is going to be the case um, so I, 
whether the players' union have to step in and say something like that, I don't think it's reached that stage yet. And I think good clubs will manage the situation well um, and will trust their players and work out a scenario where uh, they can manage it. The, the problem comes perhaps towards the end of the season when we start having Champions League fixtures, maybe domestic comp- competitions going for the Premier League. If, if that's affecting... City, Liverpool, uh, United, and they're going for all those competitions. That's when perhaps players don't speak up enough because they want to play in every game. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's a question of clubs, managers, players managing 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 the situation themselves. Yeah, I agree. I think hopefully we will avoid a collision course, but it does seem to be edging that way in terms of players and and managers that are becoming frustrated at the framework that they're operating within. And then obviously international bodies that will turn around and say, we need these games to go ahead because we need that much needed revenue coming in to support our own uh, programmes at national level. But as it stands, it seems like a quite a delicate balance between everything. And, and I think I speak for, for us all when I say that the last thing we want is any more football cancellations or, or postponements. But public health obviously has to come as, as the priority at the moment. Gents, we're going to call it there for part two. After the break, we're going to be flicking back to domestic football, Premier League football and Manchester United. Speculation over Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's future at the club with a couple of surprise names linked with taking over from him if he gets the bullet from Old Trafford. We'll catch you again in a few minutes. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Weekend Podcast. Now, with no Premier League action, of course, we've been talking all things international football, UEFA Nations League, international friendlies, European Championship playoffs, the whole shebang. But we're going to flick back to Premier League action now and discuss Manchester United. Now, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has not enjoyed the best of starts in 2020-21. Three wins in all competitions. However, only one of them has come in the Premier League. They lost to Crystal Palace and were hammered by Tottenham before the international break. Jonathan, I'm going to go to you first on this. We're going to talk about some potential rumours that Solskjaer could be sacked at the end of the season and who could take over from him. But just touching on Solskjaer, we'll give him you know room to defend himself. How has he done, in your opinion, so far this season? Is it as bad as the results potentially suggest? Well, I think it's worse than the results suggest. I watched the game against Brighton and that was probably the worst of the three performances in the Premier League. And they were very fortunate to win that one. Uh, I think Brighton hit the woodwork four or five times in that game. Um, I mean, the only game I, I haven't seen was the, uh, the, the the League Cup victory at Brighton. So that was probably the best performance of the season. So, yeah, I think they've, they're very, very poor. And you look at the squad and you think that that squad is a lot better then he's getting out of them. There's, you know, there's no way that side should be beaten six-one at home to Spurs. Okay, there was a sending off and a couple of other things, but they just seem so far away from what you're seeing at Liverpool, at City, and, and other clubs that are progressing. Um, he's been there a while now, and you don't see them anywhere any nearer winning the titles than when he took over. 
Rob, when you look at the situation and the job that he's done, it is very easy to forget the scenario that he came in on the back of. There was so much negativity surrounding Louis van Gaal and then Jose Mourinho after him that initially Solskjaer's brief was to just kind of revive the players, revive the mood around the club and then look to build from there. He has only had one full season in charge where he's been able to get his methods across to the players, a way of playing and a way that he wants the club to be moving in. And he's never exactly been shy about where Manchester United should be. He himself was part of their most successful ever team in in 1999. But there's always been this feeling that he's a temporary manager without having the the caretaker sign above his office door. Yeah, the longest interim manager of all time, I think. Uh, I think for Ole, it's it's been a obviously a bad few weeks coming back into the new season. But we mustn't forget that from January last year, obviously to the end of last season, United went on an incredible run in terms of their points. Obviously, I think they had more points than Liverpool and Man City in that period. So I judge Ole over that 12-month period and I do believe that he improved the team, he brought plays through, he, he managed to get performances out of individuals that previous managers didn't. But they've hit the wall. And I think at the start of this season, it was always going to be difficult without a pre-season. We've seen incredibly strange results for Liverpool and Manchester City in terms of conceding goals. And we've seen that for Manchester United. And it doesn't feel like their season has begun yet. So I think for Ole, three games in, it doesn't look great. There's obviously lots of rumours around uh, his employment and whether he'll uh, last the season. But he has to do what he did last season. And when he got Bruno Fernandes, he managed to turn it around. He's just picked up five new players. Obviously, Cavani is one of them, and he's finally got a left-sided attacking fullback in Tellez. And it just might be the case that if United can get going quickly now, that things are forgotten, that rumours are forgotten, and that they move on fast and go up the table. Jonathan, if it doesn't click for Solskjaer, and I think on the back of the last few months and particularly the situation regarding coronavirus and, and people's views on football, I think we are cutting managers more slack than maybe we would have done uh, if if a manager was four, five, six weeks into the start of the season and was struggling in the way that he is or the way that potentially Chris Wilder at Sheffield United is or, or other managers, we might be a little bit harsher on them. On the subject of Solskjaer potentially leaving, I want to talk about some uh, stories that are doing the rounds at the moment about potential replacements. Uh, don't laugh at this one. Mark Hughes, a man who knows very little about managing football clubs successfully, has stuck his head up and tipped Ryan Giggs to take over. Now, Hughes' logic is that if Giggs has a successful European Championships with Wales next summer, assuming the competition goes ahead, of course, that he should be included on that list if Solskjaer is sacked. Is that madness? Absolute madness. Um, I mean, if you want to watch the, get an idea of Ryan Giggs' managerial style, watch that term dugout. Uh, sorry, that term team talk he gave to the team on the on the final game of the season, it was the most un- uninspiring thing I've ever seen. Um, same as in midweek, watching that Wales team, it was they were just pretty pretty dreary. And you think you you look at what has happened at Northern Ireland uh, and Ireland and people, places like that where a manager's gone in, got a bit of excitement about the place. Okay, might not not got the best players in Europe, but they get that togetherness, that sort of team spirit. Uh, it doesn't seem to be much of that at Wales. I know they were missing a few players, but. Uh, there just seems nothing in that in the suggestion of, of Ryan Giggs being the next Manchester United manager. It, it seems like going down the same path that they have done already with Solskjaer in terms of getting a club legend. 
and that only takes you so far. They have to be realistic and they have to treat, they have to be serious about this. This is Manchester United. They should be one of the biggest teams in Europe and they should be going for the best managers. They should be getting a young, progressive, exciting, thoughtful manager who can take a very good squad onto the next level and competing with the best side in the Premier League. And Rob, obviously, someone like Giggs being mentioned as a potential replacement for Ollie if he was to be sacked would be it'd be the ultimate slap in the face for him because as I take on board what Jonathan's saying, this idea of a club legend, Solskjaer has done everything he can to shake off the only reason he got the job was because he, he played for Manchester United and was very successful. He's he's done everything to point to his record with Mould and the fact that he's he's worked so hard in getting his, his coaching badges. If Giggs was to, for want of a better word, swan in to Old Trafford and take the job, we'd see a perfect example of someone getting a job based on their record as a player because, as Jonathan alluded to, his, his record with Wales is not amazing and he doesn't seem to be the type of character that, for me, will go on to be an elite manager. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, I think with Ryan, uh, you know, he got the Welsh job and he's done okay, but is he ready to kind of take on the behemoth of Manchester United? Not for me, and I don't think anyone within the game believes that either. I, I think the difference is, with, with Ole, you know, there was definitely some acumen there in terms of his apprenticeship under Fergie. And that, that really kind of gave him a good standing as to the understanding of the football club and where to take it. And that was the reason why he was given the job. However, I think if United decide that this experiment is over and it's time to try something else, they will absolutely be looking for a name. They'll be looking for someone who's a progressive manager, who's got Premier League experience and can take the team to the next level. They won't be looking towards Ryan Giggs. That's just not going to happen. Uh, so one name that has been linked in the past and is apparently back on United's uh, watch list, Jonathan, is Maurizio Pochettino. Now, according to a piece in the Daily, Mir- uh, Daily Mirror sorry, over the weekend, Ed Woodward, who is not known for his decisive decisions, is determined to sack Solskjaer if necessary. That's the quote from the story, uh, with Pochettino lined up as, as his replacement. Now, United were interested in Pochettino previously. When he left Tottenham, it didn't seem to work out. There was a slight link that he might go to Barcelona before Ronald Koeman rocked up at the, the Camp Nou uh, in the summer. Is he still on United's radar? Yeah, he has to be because he is... He is that manager with the Premier League experience who has got quality and can turn a squad around, who is still available. I, I mean, I, I find it absolutely astonishing that they haven't gone for him already. Um, you know, Woodward is a ditherer. He, he takes too long to make decisions. And if they're not careful, he, he, they might end up missing out on him again. I mean, you, you can't see too many managers going perhaps at the top of the Premier League before, before the end of the season, you know, Liverpool, City... Arsenal, Spurs, they all look pretty uh, settled with their managers at the moment. So you, you would think he will be available for some time. Um, but in the summer, you know, City might be looking for a new manager. There's no sign that Pep is going to sign a, a new extension. So they certainly looked at Pochettino in the past and considered him as a, as a successor. So, you know, if, for me, it's absolutely no brainer for United. Just go out and get him now. Um, given the situation, Rob, with United, and obviously there's there's always going to be this controversy over Solskjaer of is he good enough? Even if he gets top four again, there does still seem to be this vibe that whilst United fans are appreciative of, of what he's done in the last 18 months, that he doesn't really seem to be the long-term person that they see in the job. 
Manchester City has also been linked with potentially going for him if Guardiola doesn't sign a new contract. If at the end of the season, Guardiola decides against an extension and United fire Solskjaer, Pochettino's got the choice of either. Where do you see him going? <laughs> um, I Well, in that scenario, then I would probably say Manchester City, but we're not in that scenario as it stands. Uh, I think for Ole, you know, he's damned if he do, doesn't, damned if he doesn't, and results are everything in this game. So I think it, it might just be the next six games. So in that period, you know, United have got Chelsea and Arsenal and their first Champions League game against PSG. That period of six matches, I think, will probably tell Ed Woodward what he's going to do. And we also must remember at United, it, it really is by committee. So it's the Glazer family that run the board. And it's not always Ed Woodward that gets the final call. So if the family get cold feet in that period, you could see with Pochettino available and ready to go, that they just make that switch very quickly. However, we saw last year when Ole was in exactly the same boat before January, uh, they played Burnley and looked absolutely shocking. And then you got Bruno Fernandes and they didn't lose a game. So it can switch really quickly at United. And I think for Ole, all he can do now is try and start winning games, try and get that momentum back that he had at the end of last season. But I think it's ominous. You know, Edward Wood is known for loving Pochettino. He's spoken about him in the past. Um, he's the manager that he would like to work with one day. And it will, will not be surprising if we get to November and if Ole's gone and Pochettino's been installed. Yeah, I I think there does seem to be a feeling uh, of inevitability about it all. Um, but I think I speak for us all when I say if ever there was a man to make a firm decision about exactly what he wanted and exactly what Manchester United needed, it's definitely, definitely Ed Woodward. 100%. And nobody will convince me otherwise. Uh, gents, on that note, we are going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Weekend podcast. Jonathan, Rob, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Great stuff. And as always, we are back seven days a week. Premier League podcast every single day. If you just tap subscribe on this episode, you can have a brand new one every 24 hours. Premier League news, gossip, transfer updates, the whole shebang. If you have an Amazon Alexa smart speaker, you can keep up to date with your own team. Simply ask it to enable sports social, pick your club and away you go. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you soon. To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.